All right. Everybody put your fingers together. Bless. This is good. How you doing? I will never forget being a young teenager watching TV one night and an ad for one of my favorite shows came on. It's previewing the Wonder Years. Any Wonder Years fans out there? This was the episode that I, I didn't want to miss because Kevin and Winnie, they were the junior high main characters in the show. This is where they became a couple. And it was denoted by they're at a movie and they both reach for the popcorn at the same time. Their hands go in the bucket and they accidentally touch hands. Kevin, making the most of the opportunity, grabs her hand. They interlock digits and not knowing what to do, they just sit with their hands holding in the popcorn bucket the rest of the movie. And I thought, I can't miss this because I want to know how I too can hold a girl's hand in the popcorn bucket. And so this began the journey of me being discipled by my favorite TV shows. And that was, of course, innocent enough as more of a G-rated show. But unfortunately, I looked to Beverly Hills 90210 as my uh, discipler for dating. So that wasn't too good. That was much more of a PG-13 type show. Then I needed to learn how to dance, and so I took notes from Patrick Swayze in Dirty Dancing. And then to learn to talk like a man, I watched Eddie Murphy. And so I was definitely on a downward slope away from, I think, what God would have me live. And this is where we find ourselves in Ephesians 2 as we're walking through. We've taken on this Herculean task of preaching through a chapter of Ephesians every week. And we're looking in Ephesians 2 verse 1. It says this, it wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. And of course, as you can tell by this verbiage, if you've read it at all, we're in the message version of the Bible, and we're going to be looking at some different translations in this study, and the reason for that is one of the ways to keep your Bible study fresh, this is what John Piper, one of my favorite Bible teachers and scholars says, is by studying a, a number of Bible translations. When we first started All People's Church, we were often handing people their first Bible. We were giving them a, a paperback version of the NIV. I love that now, 10 years later, we can have any version right in our hands. Who has the Bible app on their phone or their iPad or computer? I encourage everyone to get it. It's the little brown app that says Holy Bible. And on that, you can get uh, countless versions of the Bible. And as you grow in your faith, as you start reading the Bible for decades and decades, occasionally you'll just start skimming over a passage because you've read it so many times. And that's a good time to, to change translations and see it through new eyes. Now, all translations are basically someone taking the Greek 
And that's what the New Testament was written in. Some of the Old Testament was written in Hebrew or Aramaic. But they're taking that and trying to write that in the best English language they can for us to understand in our times. And so the the message version written by Eugene Peterson is one that really helps us understand uh, what the spirit of the text is saying. It goes on to say this, you filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it, all of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it, all of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all this on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us down in the highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. You know, this phrase, you let the world tell you how to live. That's what I did growing up. And I find that so many of us have done that. We, we so want to know what life should be like. And so we just feed off of television or off of movies. Or for me, it was off a of top 40 radio or off of the cool kids at school. And so I was looking for what I should look like, how I should act, how I should talk, how to interact with girls. And I, I want to tell you, as we do that, we're doing this. It says, you filled your lungs with polluted unbelief. Have you ever been in a, a city that had bad pollution? It's not an enjoyable experience. My worst bout with pollution was when I went to Calcutta, India in 1997. And I can just tell you that smog inspecting cars was the least of their worries. And so, you know, you might be really frustrated with the smog inspection that keeps coming in California. But I can tell you after you've been somewhere like that, you're not quite as frustrated. I land in Calcutta, India, and my lungs were burning. My eyes were watering. And most gross of all, as I blew my nose, the mucus came out black. Let me show you. I've actually done... No, I'm just kidding. Uh, You know, that is how so many of us are living spiritually in this world. We're just breathing in spiritual pollution, and it's that pollution of unbelief. I I can tell you, going to school growing up, so much of what I was taught was unbelief. We were taught this big bang theory that we came from cosmic chaos and goo instead of from the loving design of our Heavenly Father. We were taught evolution as a fact instead of what Darwin even said is a theory of evolution. And so it was just extracting the loving nature of a father who's breathing life into his creation, right? We, we, we drive down our roads and we inhale sexual perversion on the billboards that our little kids are seeing, right? We, we hear people saying all kinds of coarse gesturing and, and hard language. And, and so it's like we're living our life just inhaling smog of unbelief. And that's why I love coming to church. Uh, it, it's kind of like going up on a mountaintop and getting some clean air of faith, right? Our worship leaders are, are bringing us in the presence of God and you're just inhaling life as it should be. 
You, you, you hear the word of God being preached, and the Bible says that we actually have faith comes from the hearing of the word of God. And so your faith is, is being built up. I had some, some friends, Josh and Sagana Crossland, who have been missionaries for years in Mongolia, and their lungs started being affected and really injured because in Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia, they're burning so much coal to keep warm that it's just making their lungs black. And so the doctors actually said, what we're prescribing is that you leave the country and go up and get some clean air. Can I just tell you, Dr. God is saying, go and get some clean air spiritually. Breathe in, life group. Right? Look at your neighbor. They're like a big sequoia, just emitting faith from them. Just look at your neighbor and go, give me some of that faith you're exhaling. Right? That, that's, that's what the church of God is like. That's why you want to surround yourself with faith-breathing people, because so much of life is just speaking against faith, speaking against God. It, we're, we're, we're coating our lungs, and then what, what happens is this. It says, then you exhale disobedience. When you're discipled by the world, then what comes out is just what you see, right? And so it says you exhale disobedience. We all did it, all of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. You know, I watch movies, and, and the people say, oh, you just need to follow your heart. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says your heart is deceitful and wicked. Guard over your heart, right? And, and, but that's why we need to breathe in that life of God, the word of God. I love this. It says it's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. It's a wonder calling this sermon the real wonder years. The real wonder years. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper. He put us on earth. He gave us everything. And he says, you're for my pleasure. And instead, what do we do? We jump headlong into all kinds of sin and sexual immorality and vain conceit and greed and grossness. But instead, hello, instead... Instead of, of destroying us, it says, in incredible love, he embraced us. That's why I love the story of the prodigal son, Luke 15, right? While the son basically goes to the father and says, dad, I don't care about you. I just want your money. Then he takes his money and goes off and wastes it in and, 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 and sexual immorality with prostitutes and gambling it away and and. and rivalry and, and all kinds of revelry and all, all, all those other things and, and, and makes a mockery of the family name. And it says then that the father sees him. He, he's been messy and dirty, just wanting the food that the pigs want. The dad runs up, wraps his arms around him, kisses him, smothers him with love and reinstates him, Right? The Bible says this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were at our worst, God gave us the best. Immense in love, he lavishes it on us. Look at the NIV, it says this, but because of God's great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. 
Let me be very clear. There are only two types of people. There's only two types of people. There are those that are spiritually dead. Verse one in the NIV says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. Do you know that when we're born in this world, we're born into a world of sin and because of Adam and Eve's first sin, we're all born spiritually dead. This is an illustration of how we look when we come into this world. We look, not hashtag blessed, but we look, oh, right? There are two types of people. I don't care how nice someone is. Without Christ, they're spiritually dead. And the Bible goes on to say that they're following and controlled by the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Who is that? That's Satan, right? That's the devil, But when we receive God's love, his free gift, we become like this. Look at this. Woohoo! We become alive in Christ. There are two types of people. You need to ask yourself, am I dead or alive? And as I walk through this world, I walk with that reality that every person is either dead in sin or alive in Christ. And it burdens my heart to want to tell them the hope that I have. There's no like in between. Well, they're kind of a good person. Well, they're kind of a Christian. They're Christian-y. No, you're either dead or alive. That's what the Bible says. And what a privilege we have to be alive in him. It says this, he did all this on his own with no help from us. When we started the church, I would meet with person after person. And, and I, what baffled me is I would meet with with older men who had, some of them, been in church for years, even decades. But inevitably, they'd confide in me and say, you know, Pastor Robert, I think, uh, I think I'm a Christian. Like, I, 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 I try to be good. I, I, I try not to do too much bad. I, I give some. I don't do what a lot of other people do. You know what they were giving away? Is that they didn't understand the gospel. Now, I'm not denigrating them, but do you know that it's not how good you are that makes you a Christian? The Bible says he did it all on his own. Listen to this. It says this, for it's by grace that you've been saved. Say grace. Grace. Through faith. Say faith. Faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Say gift. And not by works so that no one can boast. If you're taking notes, and I always encourage you to do this, I want you to write down this phrase because it's the most important phrase of theology, of doctrine that you'll hear in church. And it's this phrase. I'm going to put it up on the screen. Make sure you write it down. Salvation by grace through faith. This is what we build our lives on. Salvation. Read this with me. Salvation by grace through faith. What does this mean? It means you did nothing to save yourself. All you did was you put your trust in God. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Let me illustrate this through a picture. This is, this is what it says. It says, now God has us where he wants us with all the time in this world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust in him enough to let him do it. 
It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we had done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we'd better get about doing. Now, we did nothing to save ourselves, just like we did nothing to make ourselves. So let me use this illustration. I seldom meet a person that says, I'm just really questioning whether I was physically born. <laughs> like, hear me out. I, I, don't, I don't remember coming out of my mom's womb. So I'm just really struggling to, to think, am, was I really born? Furthermore, in the amniotic fluid, I just don't know if I was good enough. This is a joke. Um, it's always bad when you have to tell people this is a joke. When it's a joke. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, you don't question whether you were born. Like, was I good enough to be born? No, you had nothing to do with being born. Right? You just, it just happened to you. You were born. Right? And that's what scripture says. He says, you didn't make yourself, nor did you save yourself. Yet I find that the enemy is working overtime, making people wonder, am I really saved? Am I, am I really saved? Because I, I haven't done enough. I don't think I've done enough. I don't think I've, I, I, I missed my quiet time this morning. I don't know if I'm saved. Right? So, so let, me, let me illustrate this with a picture. Uh, we were in Mexico this week, awesome uh, family mission trip down to Mexico. Would love for you to come with us sometime. It's just such a blast. And so this is a picture of us on the streets of Mexico. That's, that's me with the hat on backwards right there. And I, I, I'm doing what I love. We're sharing the gospel on the streets. And those are my boys. My boys, there's John Mark tied up in ropes. He's playing man tied up in sin. And then there's Hudson right there putting a rope on him. Hudson's a demon, of course. And, um, and then behind him, behind the, the uh, woman with the blonde hair is Joshua, my middle son. He's playing Satan. And um, so here we are on the streets. I love it. I love that my boys are like doing the work that I love to do, sharing the gospel on the streets with me. How cool is that? But does that make them my kids? No, no. Uh, let me see. Does it make them any more my kids than this picture? Can we show another picture? This is, this is me on the street in Morocco. Kind of look like a Terminator, but um, I was sharing the gospel. I was scaring people into the kingdom that day. And, uh, but, but there's my little baby, right? It softens me a little. There's Hallie. Isn't she adorable? Little naked baby right there with me. Is she any less my child by just sitting there doing nothing. Like she couldn't even walk on the trip. She couldn't even feed herself. I had to change her diapers. But is that any less my child? No. Why is she my child? She was my child because she's conceived and grew in Stephanie's womb and then boom, came out and was born into my family. That's what makes her my child. And that's the same with salvation. You're born again by a free gift. All you have to do is realize you need it. 
That's all you do is you realize, I can't save myself. I can never be good enough. I need a savior. And so it's this simple. You just confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, I need you. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And it's, the Bible says you'll be saved. You'll be born again. If you've done that, you're saved. If you haven't done that, then don't leave this room until you've done that. Amen. I'll give you a chance at the end. And then you can know that you're saved. So what's the difference between little Hallie with her little spiky haircut and being held by me and my boys on the street doing the drama with me. It's called maturity. It's just called growing. The older they get, the more they've been able to participate with me. Right? And that's the good works that he's preordained for you to do. Okay, let me say it this way. When, when we bought our home... We bought, bought a foreclosed piece of property and it had a little orchard planted on it. So I went out and there was an avocado tree on it. Glory to God. I love, any avocado fans out there? Oh my God. Like that's the most, it's the, the loudest you've been all morning. I'm talking about salvation and I say avocado. Yeah! <laughs> I'm going to start calling like our next conference, Avocado Conference. <laughs> Someone said, yes. <sighs> I love avocados. I went out and my avocado tree was dying. It, was, it wasn't producing fruit. So what did we do? One of the first things I did was I put a drip line to it. I made sure it got plenty of water. I went out and fertilized it. And guess what? All of a sudden, the leaves start turning green. The next thing I know, the next season I had all these beautiful green avocados started bearing fruit. Let me ask you this though. Is that when it became an avocado tree? No, it had always been an avocado tree, but what happened is it got fed, it got fertilized, and it started growing into maturity and doing what it was created to do. And that's how we are. We're created in Christ to do good works. I'm not against good works. Let's do them. But you know the greatest joy about doing them is like my boys on the street with me, when they're doing what I love to do, we get to walk so close hand in glove and the fellowship is amazing. That's the joy for us. It's not, oh, I'm finally doing enough to feel like a Christian. No, it's I'm hand in glove with my Father God. And when I'm walking with him, I feel his presence. Right? We, we, we do to enjoy intimacy with him, not to get saved. Yes. Are you following me? Right. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he's gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. What it's saying is this. God has created good work for each person in this room to do. It's already preordained. So your job every day is just to say, God, I just want to follow you around. And you don't need to look at someone else and say, I'm not measuring up to them. I can't be like them. No, God doesn't want you to because he has your own lane for you to run in. And he has people that only you will run into. And he has works for only you to do. So don't look at someone else's. He's already preordained a lane for you to run in. So run in that lane. And it's so good because when you're running, all of a sudden he's running with you. But don't take any of this for granted. 
Verse 11, it was only yesterday that you were outsiders to God's way and had no idea of any of this. You didn't know the first thing about the way God works, hadn't the faintest idea of Christ. You knew nothing of that rich history of God's covenants and his promises in Israel, hadn't a clue about what God was doing in the world at large. Now because of Christ dying that death, shedding that blood, you who were once out of it altogether are in on everything. Can I just tell you, you might have felt out of it your whole life. You're in. You're in the in crowd. Welcome to the in crowd. You're on the inside. You that never felt like you're in a click, you're in God's click. You are on the inner circle with God. But here's what it's saying. I, I, I look back at this phrase. It says, you knew nothing of God's covenants, promises in Israel, hadn't a clue about what God was doing in the world at large. At times I hear people say, well, all peoples, you know, they're that kind of missions church. They're that, that nation's church. I, I would rather just go and hear about, like, how does the Bible uh, uh, apply to, to, to me and my, my life? Can I just tell you this? Um, this book... Uh, the beginning, Genesis 1, it doesn't start in America. Like the Garden of Eden, it's between the Tigris and the Euphrates. You know where that is? No, it's not Ramona. It's, it, it's in the Middle East. And then God calls this man named Abram, and he changed his name to be Abraham. And you know where he was? He was in Ur of the Chaldeans. You know where that is? Iraq. Oh, yeah, like if you start reading this book, you realize like, oh, it's not just about me and my, my little house and my little neighborhood. No, actually, do you know this? Jesus was an American. <laughs> like Jesus was a Jew from Israel, right? Okay, and then like the end of the book, like all these things start unfolding, but I don't even see the name America in here. Now, don't be like, well, you're not patriotic. I am so patriotic. <laughs> I will be at the Coronado July 4th parade, and I'll be crying. <laughs> I mean, I've had like American flag shirts that I wear. I love America, right? I, I, I mean, I'm proud to be an American, right? I mean, I... I love that song. I cry. It's embarrassing. I love America. Don't get on me. Okay, but what I'm saying is the Bible says, for God so loved America. No, it says, for God so loved the world. Right? God loves the whole world. And so wh why do we talk about the nations? Why do we have pictures of people from all these different countries around? Because God is moving in the world. Do you know that America is just a tiny slice of the Christians of this world. You know, what started with 120 people in an upper room has now grown to 2.6 billion people. I wanted to show you the progress of our team. Can we put this map up right now? I want to show you all the blue are countries that, the, the dark blue are countries that are more than 50% Christian. And this is amazing. Actually, I need to show you that America right here is actually a lighter shade of blue because the dark midnight blue are the countries that are over 90% Christian. So do you know that we're not the most Christian nation? We're actually more like 65 to 70%. We're in the, the third 
category. Do you know the majority of Christians now live in the Southern Hemisphere? And do you know that in a country like China, there's this massive awakening going on and more and more people are coming to Christ. We're in America, we're on the decline. Now that makes me hungry to see God bring revival to America. But can I just tell you that God loves the nations of the world and there are many more Christians outside of our country than inside. And that is our brothers and sisters and we should care what's going on with them. But then we should really care when we look at the light blue countries because those are the countries that are about 5 to 10% Christian and then we should get really concerned about the gray countries because they don't even have 1% Christian. But the Bible says this gospel of the kingdom will be preached into all nations as a testimony and then the end will come. And so until the gospel is preached to every nation, Jesus isn't returning. And I really want him to come back. It's going to be so much better when he comes. So this is why we care about the nations of the world. Because this book is about the nations knowing the goodness and splendor of Jesus. So we got some work to do. Then he started over. Instead of continuing with two groups of people separated by centuries of animosity and suspicion, he created a new kind of human being, a fresh start for everyone. I'm skipping verses 14 and 18, which are specifically about the, the Jewish people and God reconciling them and making the Gentiles. And if you wonder what Gentiles are, that's everyone who's not a Jew. So the majority of people in this church are Gentiles. And The Bible says that Jesus abolished the separation between the two and made us all God's people. I could preach like a whole series on that, but we're focusing in on something different. It says this, that's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. The kingdom of faith is now your home country. I'm so thankful to be an American, but can I just tell you, this isn't my real country. This isn't your real country. Do you know what your real country is? Do you know what your real home is? It's the kingdom of God. And that's when we say the the word blessed, I don't care how bad things are today, you belong to an eternal kingdom. And your ultimate home is heaven. And so no matter how things aren't working out in this fallen and broken world, you are heading towards a place where there is no more tears, no more pain, no more crying, no more war, no more destruction, where everything is right under the order of Jesus. That is your eternal home. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone, God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here in what he's building. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone with Christ Jesus as a cornerstone that holds all parts together. We see it taking shape day by day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. I've referred to the word wonder several times. I had the chance to see the movie Wonder on my trans-Pacific flight home that never seemed to end. And I was watching this movie. If you're familiar with it, it was Julia Roberts' last 
uh, movie that she just did where she has a child who has a genetic defect and a, and a, a, a really intense deformity. And the story is about the pain that this child is experiencing as he feels so different from everyone else. But we go on this journey of him learning to to embrace his life and to give his gifts and actually that he is a blessing to other people. But I think the brilliance of the movie was it didn't just chronicle his journey, but also showed the children around him and the different characters around him that although they might not have had physical deformities, they had internal pain. And can I just tell you, you live long enough, you understand that everyone is carrying pain. Everyone has disappointments. Right, the, the longer you live and the more you look at the world, the more you realize, you know, I'm not as good looking as I wanted to be. I'm not as smart as I wanted to be. I'm not as successful as I wanted to be. My relationships aren't as perfect as I wanted them to be. And can I just tell you, I've had the chance to know some very successful people, some people who have made a ton of money. I, I know some of the most famous people in America. And can I just tell you, I don't know anyone that hasn't have intense pain in their life. I don't care who you think hasn't made, they're carrying pain in their hearts. They're carrying sorrow. Why? Because the Bible says in this world, we will have trouble. It's a part of the human experience. We live in a broken world and there's no one immune from pain. And that's why I love this scripture. Because maybe we've set our sights on the wrong thing. Maybe what we can accomplish and what we can build and how great we look is not actually the main goal of life. Maybe it's that we're children of God and he has chosen to use you to build his holy temple, the church of the living God where his presence dwells on earth, that you, a, a, a human with all your defects and abnormalities and messes up can host the presence of God and you join with others and the kingdom of God advances like a wave through you in our generation. Amazing. Amazing. And when I hear something like that, it just breaks something off of my life because I realize it's not all about me. Yeah. And it's okay that everything's not perfect. Because I don't know about you, I don't always accomplish what I set out to accomplish. And I don't know about you, but I don't even always respond like I want to respond, like someone cuts me off and I get mad. Right? And, and, and someone treats me rude, and I'm like, ah! And my kids, once a year, they don't behave right. And, um, but I, I, I realize it's not about me. It's, a, it's, about, it's about him. And, and can I just tell you that we've got to get this in our mind, and then, and only then, will we live truly blessed. Because can I just tell you the things that we try to make our life into in this world, they will fade away. I don't care how good looking you are, right? I don't care how ripped you are. Your rip will eventually turn to wrinkles. Your beautiful, luscious hair that you put all your Pantene Pro-V in, it will eventually get gray and white and brittle or it will fall out. right? I don't care how great a job you land, eventually people are going to look at you and say, you're too old. 
Time to move on. I mean, I, I, I planted this church and someday people are gonna look at me and be like, I don't want you anymore, Robert. We want John Mark, your little nine-year-old. Right? They're going to want him. And he, he, he wasn't even around when we started this church, but they're going to not want me. I'm telling you, some of you are going to be here. You're going to be like, Robert, mm, mm. <laughs> your jokes aren't that funny anymore. No one's heard of the Wonder Years anymore, Robert. <laughs> Can I, I just tell you, if you build your life on what you accomplish, yeah. how you look, how much money you have, it's all fleeting, but the one thing that can't be taken away is the precious gift of the Holy Spirit indwelling in you, telling you that you're a beloved child and that you can walk step by step by step with the living God and he can flow through you to extend his kingdom in your generation. And no one can take that away. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm done. Stand up. Close your eyes, please. My question today is first, are you 100% sure that Jesus is living in your heart? Are you 100% sure that you're saved? If you've been thinking, I I don't know, I don't know if I've done enough works, then you haven't truly grasped the gospel. So let me just share it with you. 10 seconds, again. He died for you when you were at your worst. You can't save yourself. It's time to just say, Jesus, save me. When he died on the cross, he took your sin. When he rose from the dead, he defeated the power of sin and death. He wants to come in, wash you clean, and put his spirit in you. If you'll want that today, just pray this right after me. Just repeat these words. Just whisper these words in the privacy of your heart. Say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Wash me clean. Thank you for rising again. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I'll walk with you forever. While every eye is closed in this place, if you're praying that prayer today, I wanted to pray a prayer of sealing and blessing over you. So no one looking around, but you just say, Pastor, I prayed that prayer with you right then. Just look up at me real quick and wave at me. It's all over this room. Thank you. Who else? Just wave at me. Thank you. See you back there. Who else? Thank you. I see you back there. Just make eye contact with me. Thank you. I see you. Thank you. I see you. Thank you. I see you. Anyone else that I haven't seen? I want to just include you in this prayer. Just wave at me real quick. Anyone else? Anyone else that just says, that's me? Father, I thank you for all these friends that are saying, You are their only hope. They're saying, Jesus, come into my life. And I thank you that today as they confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and they believe in their heart that God raised them from the dead, they're being saved. If you were one of those people just waving at me, put your hand on your heart and just whisper, I'm saved. It's a gift of God. We thank you. Church, let's just thank God for what he's doing right now. Prayer team, come quickly up front. Prayer team. Come quickly up front. If you need prayer for anything today, we want to pray for you. We want to pray for you. Maybe you've been battling discouragement. Maybe you're sick. We want to lay hands on you and pray for your healing. Maybe you're battling an addiction. Maybe there's some kind of problem we can agree for you with in your marriage or your finances. We want to pray for you. If you're the ones raising their hand, I want to invite you to come forward. And we're going to give you a free gift. It's in this little box up here. You can just say, hey, I was one of those praying with Robert. 
Let's just sing one last song. Let's celebrate what God's done. And you just come forward as you need prayers. The front's open to just come and receive prayer for whatever you need. If your heart's just burning, you say, I, I need something. Just start making your way up front right now. We want to pray for you, especially those who are waving their hand and, and praying, giving their lives to Jesus. You come up front. You're now a part of our big family. We want you with us to start moving to the front. Step out. Even if you're in the middle of the aisle, just start stepping out in the middle of the aisle. Come up to one of our friends, and we want to pray with you.